But today we have something super exciting. So we're gonna go from that to exciting. You're gonna see a ton of Super Bowl commercials this next like a uh, few hours. But I think this little commercial of real life footage of our communicator might be the best you see all day. First time I met Billy Sprague, I was 11 years old. It would have been 2003, and I was playing uh, in a basketball tournament against him. He was the biggest guy on the court, by far. Billy was scoring a bunch of points. Coach says, someone's got to play defense on that guy. I raise my hand. I stand in front of him to take a charge. He knocks me 15 feet into the boards. Wind got knocked out of me. So I think it's fair to say that first time I met Billy Sprague, he took my breath away. Well, my name is Wilbur Geeson. Uh, they call me Wilbur Flock Geese Geeson. I was a hockey coach uh, for about 20 years. I saw the job posting in Denver, Colorado to be the varsity football coach uh, for Billy Sprague. But I started coaching Billy and uh, having a guy like him on your team, you really don't need to know a lot about the game. They call me the uh, Ted Lasso of the Great White North. Uh, my name is uh, Jim Bob Suggs Jr. Billy and I were teammates on our city football team at Thomas Jefferson High School. Billy Sprague was, uh, he was one of the best. Uh, it really was a joy to coach uh, little Billy Sprague, but it certainly came with its complications. The regulatory body started to get involved. Uh, they had never, ever had to, to uh, test a high school student for performance enhancing drugs until Steroid Billy came around. The biggest guy, in fact, we actually called him Steroid Billy because he was so big and everybody was afraid of him. Coaching Billy Sprague was truly a joy. Uh, that guy, man, uh, unrivaled work ethic, and he had a rear end bigger than Babe the Blue Ox himself. <laughs> Talk about a tight end. To this day, I'm still a little skeptical whether or not he's actually my age. Even now, I mean, he looks like he's 40. The guy doesn't have a social media account. Like, surely that guy is older than 30 years old. I had to stop trick-or-treating when I was six. Took the team up to uh, to old Breckenridge Mountain uh, for a little ski trip, and uh, Billy really wasn't much of a skier. But I tell you what, he did throw a football from the base of Breckenridge Mountain to the summit, and I just never seen anything quite like it. The thing about myths is they usually get blown out of proportion. Uh, one time, he deadlifted my cousin Cletus's minivan. Yeah, that that happened. So I reunited with Billy uh, at School of Mines in 2010. He asked me to be his best friend, and I reluctantly uh, obliged. I don't remember Tim at all growing up. I think he would probably call me many things. Uh, he would call me friend. Uh, he would call me mentor. Uh, he would call me father figure. Uh, he certainly would call me hero. Restoration Church, it is my honor uh, to introduce to you our communicator for the day. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, we are gonna have lots of football. Lots of Jesus. Would you help me welcome to the stage the man, the myth, the legend. Put your hands together for Billy Spring.
I'm not gonna lie to you guys, that was the, my favorite thing we've ever done. <laughs> my favorite thing we've ever done. The, the, the advantage of being on such a talented staff is they do amazing things like make 30 for 30s on you. So thank you, Tim and Zach, for that. Uh, if you couldn't tell from that video or this sick graphic, it is Super Bowl Sunday. We are gonna have a bunch of fun. We are gonna get into the word of God. And the only way to recover from that, I think, is to pray. So we are going to start in prayer. Uh, will you pray with me? Uh, God, thank you for bringing us here. Thanks for joy, laughter, the things that you created, God. Uh, Heavenly Father, thanks that you're here. You say where two or more gather in my name, there I am also. And so we recognize you're here. You want to speak to each one of us this morning. So we invite you and we welcome you. Please do exactly that. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Um, has God ever put a desire on your heart? So uh, I started playing football in third grade. Didn't start getting real serious until about high school. And I kind of had this like breakout season. Things started rolling. I started getting these calls from college coaches. I was getting letters. I got invited to these recruiting camps over the summer. And uh, basically, so I'm going to all these college campuses across the nation, and they scout you. They see like, what do you look like in person, you know, because you lie about being 6'2", 230. And uh, so they're going, man, like, what, what do you look like? They scout you. And uh, man, what it started to build was this desire to play college football. I'm going, man, this is sick. This is awesome, dude. Like, this is exactly what I want to do. And I remember praying to God. I go, God, wherever you want me, like the one school that you want me in, just let that be the last one left to offer me a scholarship. So God answered that. He starts getting rid. All these schools start falling off. Offers start falling off. And I take a visit to the Colorado School of Mines. And uh, man, so I'm heading up to Golden. This is in the, in the middle of winter. Everything is dead there. It's snowy, trees. The campus is okay now, but back then it was ugly. All earth tones, nothing new. And uh, I go down to the locker room and it's the exact same as my high school locker room. Like it is, these poor kids from Texas, $50 million high school stadium, they come to mind, they're like, this is my middle school, maybe elementary school locker room. And uh, I go up to the coach's office, it's straight from the 70s. And guys, I loved it. I was like, this place is sick. I definitely want to go here. So I commit on the spot. My parents are there. It was awesome. We celebrated and I got to experience that desire that was on my heart. And the truth is we all have desires in our lives, right? We all have these desires. And I think we can agree not every desire we have is from God. And that's a different sermon, but God does put specific God-given desires on our heart. And so maybe for you, you're in your job, your career, maybe you're a little dissatisfied and you're like, man, God's putting this desire for something specific in my vocation. Maybe you're, uh, you've got this big desire for a wife or a husband. You're like, man, I want to have this godly marriage that reflects Christ. Maybe you're like, I want to be a phenomenal dad. I have this desire to be an amazing mom. I want to show my kids the love of Christ. I want to raise them up in their ways. Maybe you're, you're feeling a little lost in this season. You're like, man, I don't know exactly where I'm heading, what my direction is. And you have this deep desire for a God-given purpose in your life. So wherever you're at, you're in good company this morning because we all have desires. And I want us to uh, think about that desire that you have. And I want us to take us to a story in scripture because we see this theme over and over again of these God-given desires. And I want us to look at a story of a man who had a desire from God. And I want us to unpack it and see how he tackled that God-given desire. So we're going to open up to the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is uh, my favorite book in the Bible. It's one of my favorites because Nehemiah does amazing things. 
He's like this incredible leader. He's super strategic. He gets all this stuff done, all while relying heavily on the Lord, while being intensely in prayer, confessing and honoring God. He does both so well. And so Nehemiah is uh, in the Old Testament. It occurs about 450 years before Christ comes on the scene. And uh, Nehemiah's 13 chapters, so we better start reading. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm going to give a quick summary, a little highlight reel, so that we can hone in on a few key concepts. So this is going to be Chris Berman's, like, fastest three minutes. So I'm going to be like Kenny the Jet, get back to my board. And uh, we're going to look at the Nehemiah summary here. So Nehemiah starts off with him, uh, with the king of Persia. This is Nehemiah. And so he starts to learn that the walls in Jerusalem, his city and his people are in disgrace, is what it says. And so he's heartbroken. He's like distraught. And that discontent starts to build this desire in his heart to see the people of Israel restored in Jerusalem. And so he is the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Cupbearer, guy who tastes the wine before the king does in case it's poisoned. High risk job. Also, you get a lot of trust and influence with the king. So one day, the king's asking Nehemiah, man, what's up? You look sad. You look like something's up. What's going on? And he explains everything to him. And he goes, man, I want to go rebuild this wall. And so the king gives him everything he needs, and he heads over to Jerusalem, and he starts rebuilding the wall. And while he's doing it, opposition comes. And as opposition comes, they fight, they pray, they try to establish things to honor the Lord. And so then Nehemiah, he actually has to leave. He has to go back to the king because poison control can't be gone that long. So he goes back and the king actually grants him and the book of Nehemiah ends with him going back to Jerusalem and he's checking on all these things and he finds things out of place and he makes some corrections, he makes some adjustments and he starts to put things back in place to honor God. And so boom, highlight reel, you now know the whole book of Nehemiah. And so God gave Nehemiah a desire in his heart He's given you a desire in your heart. And so let's see what we can learn from Nehemiah this morning. And uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday. So we are going to call this the uh, Nehemiah's winning formula to accomplish his God-given desire. And the first key to Nehemiah's winning formula is to take action. So Nehemiah, right, he learns about this. He's distraught and he goes to the Lord. And it says this in Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So he sits down, he weeps, his heart is broken. And so whether your desire is built out of a discontent with the status quo or whether it's based on an encouragement and a hope and something in the future, we need to bring it before the Lord. We want to start our action in prayer. Just like Nehemiah, we want to start that action in prayer. When I pray, I love praying Psalm 31.3. It says, since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. Uh, At Mines, it's the same as every other college in America, where when you come in as a freshman, you get redshirted. And what redshirting means is for your first year, you don't get to play any games. So you don't get to play at all. It's all about lifting, learning the plays, eating and eating and eating and eating. (laughs) They're trying to get you as big as you can. And so you don't get to play in any games. So after that year, I'm getting into the next year. I'm like, sweet, okay, I've got a chance to play in a college football game. That's my desire right now. I want to play in a college football game. And uh, we're in fall camp. We're rolling. I'm super excited. And I tear my shoulder. And so I have to have surgery. I'm out for the whole season. And that season was super tough. 
I struggled a ton in that season. Instead of getting to play, getting to be out there and practice, I'm filming. I like went up in this forklift, so I'm like filming the plays. You're not even on the field. Instead of being in the game, I was in the coach's booth just writing the plays he called because we had to track what plays they called. And I was praying desperately for my first C on a minds test. Miracles do happen. (laughs) And so this season was tough. It was this obscure season. I was like, God, what are you doing? And I was like, man, do I need to bail on this desire? Do I need to bail on minds? Do I need to get out of here? Do I need to go somewhere else? Like, is this just not what he has? So I'm wondering, do I need to bail on this? And so I actually stayed in it. I kept doing those things. I kept going. I kept moving. And the next year... I'm, he- I'm healthy, I'm ready to play, and I go from third-string linebacker to starting linebacker. And when I looked back at that season, what I realized is that that season of obscurity was actually a season of preparation. That off-season, man, it's like, man, God, what are you doing here? It was actually the season of preparation. And in football, right, our preparation, our, uh, when we need to take action, it's that film, it's the lifting, it's doing that. As our, our walks with Christ, it's to be in the Word, Right? It's to pray, it's to be sharpened by one another. And if you're doing those things, your season of obscurity that you might be in is probably a season of preparation. It's probably a season of preparation. You might feel like Nehemiah, who's the cupbearer to the king of Persia. He goes, how on earth am I getting to Jerusalem? Like, how on earth am I getting there? God was preparing him and putting him in a place of influence so that he'd be effective. And so now we pick back up. He's in the presence of the king, Nehemiah 2, 2 through 4. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. So then Nehemiah says this, I was very much afraid, which he should be with the king. When you come before the king, if the king doesn't like what you said, if he doesn't like that your face looks sad, he goes, change your face. Like the king could actually kill you for those kinds of things. So he says, I was very much afraid, verse three, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Great start to a sentence of someone you're really afraid of. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? I picture Nehemiah here taking a deep breath. (sighs) Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Verse four, the king said to me, what is it you want? (sighs) And here we go. He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. And so Nehemiah goes on, he gives the king this list of all the things he needs. He tells him, this is how long it's going to take me to get this done. And the king grants him all of it. And he goes to Jerusalem and starts to rebuild the wall. But don't miss what happens at the end of verse four right there. He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. He's been praying day and night. He's been in those extensive prayers we just saw before. These long prayers, he's praying, he's fasting, saturated with God. And then in this biggest moment of anxiety and stress and worry, He doesn't put it on himself. He still prays to the God of heaven. And this had to be a short prayer. The king asks, what do you want? You don't get to tell the king, hey, give me like an hour. I'm gonna go have a quiet time. I'm gonna pray this up and I'll come back and get back to you, king. That's not how that works. The king goes, you know, what do you want? You gotta answer him. And so Nehemiah, it doesn't tell us exactly, but I imagine he goes, God, help me here. God, be with me. God, lead my words. God, lead my actions. There's time for long prayers. There's time to be saturated. We need to to, to get prayed up with the Lord. And then in our big moments, our stress and our worry, we need to pray to the Lord. In those times of fear, go, God, help me. God, just help me. At RST, one of our values is pray first. And uh, if you're like, man, I don't know how to pray. We're coming off a four-week series called Teach Us to Pray. 
Great tools and insights. Highly recommend going back and watching those. We also do prayer room Wednesday morning, 6 to 7, 7 to 8 a.m. in the chapel. And uh, at the end of our service here in communion worship, we're going to have a prayer team right up here in this corner. And you can actually join the prayer team too and grow in prayer and learn how to pray. Can you tell we like prayer here? So prayer, we want to start our action in prayer. Nehemiah started by taking action in prayer, and then he answers the king and works his preparation. So the first key is to take action for our God-given desire. The second key to Nehemiah's winning formula is to fight opposition. So uh, in football, your opposition always seems like the other team. But as a linebacker, your opposition is offensive linemen and fullbacks primarily. And so you have to understand the disdain that linebackers have for offensive line and fullbacks. They don't like each other. Even on your own team, you don't like those guys. And the reason is offensive linemen are barely athletes. Like they barely fit into the category athlete. Fullbacks are barely people. They barely fit into the category of human beings. So when we're watching film, I'm watching offensive linemen. I'm watching fullbacks. I'm watching my opposition. What are they doing? Do they struggle with power moves? Do they struggle with speed moves? Fullbacks, do they duck their head? Do I need to swim them? How do I fight the opposition? And what I learned from this experience is that when we fight opposition and the more we fight opposition, we get better at recognizing it and we actually get better at fighting it. We get better at recognizing it and we actually get better at fighting it. And Nehemiah, he faced some some serious opposition. There are these guys who are just against him. They didn't want this wall being rebuilt. And their names are Tobiah, Geshem, and Sanballat. Top baby names for 2023. (laughs) These are bad dudes. Negative. They threatened Nehemiah. And so they did everything they could to stop him. So Nehemiah 4.3, it says, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, uh, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. This has to be one of the earliest recorded trash talkings of all time. Like they're trying to discourage him. They're trying to put him down. They're just talking trash, trying to get him out there. The things I've heard on a football field, as far as trash talking goes, I have none to share with you this morning at church on Sunday. So Tobias trash talking. Now Sanballat, Geshem, they get into the action here. Nehemiah 6, 2 through 3. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Nehemiah, come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? So these guys are trying to take him away from what God has for him. He's like, man, I'm in my God-ordained desire. Why should I come meet with you jokesters? No way. I'm staying here. The work needs to get done. No matter what, if you you have a God-ordained desire, there will be opposition. And we need to be careful not to let every voice come in. We need to be very careful. Every voice, people in the stands, people out of the game should not have a loud and significant voice in your life. Joe talked about this last week. How do we hear the voice of God? He speaks through his word, he speaks through prayer, and he speaks through trusted Christian counsel. You can love everybody without everyone being a trusted voice in your life. So when people are out in the stands and they're yelling stuff, keep that there. If, if you engage too much, if you listen too much, you're going to find yourself out of the game in the stands with them. That's not where you want to be. We want to be in the game. So despite the trash talking, trying to pull Nehemiah away, the, the wall continues to be built. So these guys have to increase their threats. Nehemiah 4, 8 through 9, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. 
But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So opposition sometimes is going to be people. It's coming, they're fighting. A lot of times for us, it's going to be Satan. He's going to come and attack you. He's going to make, want to make things difficult. He's going to try, to try to attack you, speak negative things into you. He wants you to disqualify yourself. It's easier if you just never show up for the game. Satan wants to, you to disqualify yourself. And so you might have this desire to be an incredible mom or dad, but that week that you go to the parenting conference, the week that you're going to go to a marriage retreat, your kids are going to get sick. Right? Maybe, maybe your desire is like, man, I'm going to want to make disciples. This is what I want to do. The first time you're about to share your faith, cardboard's going to break down. Something's going to happen, right? Satan's not just going to lay it down. There will be opposition. We have to be able to fight this. Nehemiah gives us a, a, a great indication of what we need to do in this situation. Look, it's the first thing he does here when he realizes there's opposition. It says, but we prayed to our God. And Satan cowers when we pray. If you've been around our, our prayer team, and especially Tim, you've heard this quote before. Samuel Chadwick says this, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. To fight opposition, they prayed. But this is what I love about Nehemiah. It doesn't stop there. He says, but we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night. We posted a guard day and night. Look what they do seven verses later. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who are building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Okay, now... <laughs> This is what we call a baller move. <laughs> if you're listening to this on like the treadmill on the podcast, what you're missing is this 15-foot sword I'm holding. <laughs> Materials and work in one hand, their weapon in the other. As you pursue your God-given desire, there is a time for offense. There's a time for building. There's a time to take ground. There's also a time for defense to secure some stuff, to protect some stuff. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, uh, we got to pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When you fight opposition, you will need the word of God to make it clear the voice of God, hearing from our heavenly father, not hearing from those outside voices and helping you set up the right posted guards to fight opposition. And now without killing somebody, we're going to put that sword back. And this morning, if you're coming in and you're like, man, hey, I'm a little worn out. I don't know if I can pick up my sword today. I've got good news. Your heavenly father not only wants to fight with you, but he'll fight for you. You have your heavenly father to call on. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. In your weakness. So, in our desires, we want to take action. We want to fight opposition. And the third key to Nehemiah's winning formula is make adjustments. It's game day. I always loved game day. Practice? We're talking about practice. Game day's the best. I always tell people, you got to be a lunatic to play football. You train and practice for 354 days of the year for 11 games. 
for 11 games. And you have like one or two opportunities in that game to actually make a big play. So you're training 354 days of the year for one moment of all out adrenaline. You gotta be crazy. You gotta be crazy. And what's even crazier is that with 354 days of training and practice, no one is perfect. No one plays a perfect game. You always have to make adjustments. And that's why we watch film. And so film is where you come and you get corrected and you make adjustments. So I played linebacker, that's on defense. Every defensive call has three parts. Part one is to get the big chunky dudes up front lined out. It's always one word. They hit their heads a lot. You got to help them. The second part is usually some sort of stunt, blitz, some action between linebackers and linemen. Important. The third part is always a coverage. And usually it falls into the category of a man coverage or a zone coverage. Man coverage, every one of our guys has one of your guys. Zone coverage, we cover a little area. Parents, you have two kids, you're playing man. Three kids, zone coverage, right? <laughs> so we've got it, okay? <laughs> we had a coverage called uh, ombre. And so we're in a game. I played inside linebacker, so I called the defense. I get the call from the coach. I say, hey, <clears throat> bear blue X ombre, bear blue X ombre, ready, break. We get out there. I stand there. Hike. I go cover my zone. They throw the ball. Guy catches it and scores a touchdown, basically. So not a good play. Uh, we get to film the next day, and we walk into the film room to review everything that happened in the game. The film room is kind of like this. If I'm the coach, I've got the table here, I've got my play sheet, play one, two, three, four, five, what did we call? And then in this hand, I have the clicker. And whoever has the clicker has all the power because you can watch the same thing a thousand times. Every mistake over and over and over again. Not that that happened. So coach is sitting there, we're all sitting behind. We watch the film, he starts going through the play. He gets to that play, says play 50, bare blue X ombre, he plays it. I'm not kidding you. We didn't even get to the end of the play. He stands up. He pulls his chair out. He stands up. He takes his glasses off. He walks right up to me. He goes, Billy, do you speak Spanish? I froze. It was like the closest to Nehemiah I've been. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. He goes, do you speak Spanish? He yells at the top of his lungs, hombre is Spanish for man. Ah, should have been in man coverage. I was in zone. That happened a lot. But the key to any good film session, the key to any correction adjustment, that's a big one, right? You're running the opposite coverage that you're supposed to. That's a big correction. Is that the key to any, any correction and adjustment is you have to come with a posture of humility. Because if you do that, the corrections will fix. You'll actually make the adjustments. And the corrections become less and less frequent and they become smaller and smaller. And so film started to become like, hey man, you took a step back. We always want to take a step forward. Let's clean that up. You have to come with the posture of humility so the correction gets less and less. As we follow Christ, we don't want big correction after big correction after big correction. We want to humble ourselves and come before him and make the adjustments he's asking us to make. So after the rebuilding of the wall, Nehemiah, he makes some adjustments. They've completed the wall. He's starting to create this culture. He wants to see Israel restored fully, not just Jerusalem. And so the people inside it, they start, he starts to uh, make the adjustments. They're praying, they're confessing, they're worshiping God, and he's putting things in place for that. And in Nehemiah 9, 16 through 17, he says, but they are ancestors 
became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. No one ever called my coach gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. But that is exactly who our God is. That is exactly who our God is. And he does not desert you. It says, therefore, you did not desert them. God will not desert you. He wants to make adjustments with you. He wants you to make the adjustments, and he wants to be there with you. So where do you need to make adjustments? At the beginning of this year, you probably made uh, some sort of New Year's resolution. We talked about partnership here, the seven practices of disciples at Restoration. Did you commit to doing something this year? Did you commit to be in the word, to pray? Did you commit to serve others? Do you want to be in a simple church? Whatever it is, this is a good time to look back and make some adjustments. February, early February, statistically, all news resolutions are done now. We've stopped completely. It doesn't need to stop right now. You can just make adjustments. I know people who used all of January to just plan the year. We're still early. This is a good time to make adjustments. So you have a God-given desire. And in that, we want to pray continually. We want to ask God, how would you have me take action? How would you have me fight opposition and make adjustments? In sports, we uh, always look at the GOATs. And if you don't know what GOAT is, G-O-A-T stands for greatest of all time. We always look back at the GOATs, and a ton has happened in sports in the last few weeks, if you missed it. Uh, LeBron James broke the all-time scoring record in the NBA. A ton of people thought that would never happen. Uh, Tom Brady retired, widely regarded as the greatest football player to ever play. My two-year-old son Brody is hitting five-footers on his little tyke's basketball hoop. <laughs> the GOATs, right, Okay. The goats. We're always looking back at the goats. But there's something that all the goats have in common. They've all fallen short to some degree. They've all fallen short at some point. They've all been defeated at some point. So there's really truly only one goat. Only one individual who's ever been undefeated. Only one individual who knows perfectly how to take action who knows perfectly how to fight opposition, who knows perfectly the desire and the will of God. And that's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus. He's, uh, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. And he asks God, God, take this responsibility away from me. What you're asking me to do, I can barely handle it. Will you take this away? But if not, I trust you and I will do it. And that's exactly what God had for him. And so he's prayed up. He, he builds his trust and his confidence in the Lord and the guards come and arrest him. He gets arrested and in the greatest action of all time, Jesus goes up on the cross to die for our sin and shame. And he's buried. Three days later, he, ro he's rose, he rose from the dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating Satan, defeating death, defeating all opposition. And he starts to put things in place so that his truth would spread throughout the whole world. And 2,000 years later, we're in this room talking about him. 
We're talking about his lordship, his mercy, his grace, and his sacrifice for us. He's the goat, the greatest of all time. And he says that those that confess with their mouths and believe in their heart that I am Lord will have eternity with the heavenly father. And so if we're talking about this stuff today, you're like, man, that's what I want. I'd love to talk to you after. Talk to Jason, Tim, Ron. Come get prayer with the prayer team. And if you've already made that decision in your life, and you're like, man, I, I need to be taking some action. I need to be fighting some opposition. I need to make some adjustments with God. I'd invite you to pray and ask him, what, was that, what would that be for me? So will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for all that you are, for who you are and for what you do. Jesus, thank you that you are the greatest of all time, that you've taken perfect action, that you've defeated all opposition, Lord and that we can rely fully on you, Jesus. We ask you to help us make adjustments in our lives. Please, God, come and change us. Let us come humbly before you. Humble us, Lord, so that we can come before you. We can enter your presence. Thank you for dying for us on the cross as we remember that, as we take communion. In Jesus' name, amen.